the award-winning seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia, official partner of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Don't change me Yes, hello everyone. Welcome to Sports Day WA. It's a Thursday, the final program of the week. Uh, Not forgetting, you can also tune in across the weekend. SENWA, uh, where you may be in Western Australia and hear all the AFL action. And this Sunday afternoon... We've got the match between uh, Fremantle Dockers and Port Adelaide. Gets underway our coverage at 2.10. Uh, bounce down at 2.40. Jimmy Williams, uh, Scotty Cummings and Peter Vlahos, your commentary team on SENWA. And a very good team it is. All right, before we continue into the program and look at the top seven of this week for Kia, the official partner of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023, Let's have a look at the ins and outs for the West Coast Eagles and the Fremantle Dockers for the good oil, Cobram Estate, Premium Australian Extra Virgin Olive Oil. It is the penultimate round in the AFL. That is the second last round of home and away fixtures. And looking at Fremantle coming into the lineup for their match against Port Adelaide here at Optus Stadium, 2.40 on Sunday. Bailey Banfield, Nathan Wilson, Tom Emmett, Travis Collier, and now it is Michael Walters with a leg injury. Now, uh, Tom Emmett, uh, a bit about him. You're probably a name that you're not used to hearing. He's a South Australian youngster. He was taken by Fremantle with pick 41 in the 2022 NAB AFL draft as a mature age player. Uh, the 21-year-old missed a lot of footy due to injury and illness, but showed sharp improvement playing for Sturt in the Sandfall in 2022. He's a powerful mid size forward with a constant threat in front of goal. He kicked 15 goals in his last seven games of the season for Sturt. So Tom Emmett, will he play? That's the $64,000 question. But at the moment, he is in the extended squad for the match against Port Adelaide. The West Coast Eagles play the early game against the Western Bulldogs. And just uh, updating their ins and outs. That's at Marvel Stadium uh, in for the Eagles, we've got uh, Jameson, Petricelli, Ryan Marrick, and Zane True. And out goes Greg Clark with suspension. So uh, that is the Eagles lineup for the Western Belt Bulldogs in their second last game of the season. A lot of dialogue at the moment regarding Adam Simpson. Everybody's having a bit of a say about it, including Eddie Maguire. Tim Gossage on Scotty and Goss this morning gave his opinion on where Adam Simpson is at. And I don't think you need to be a... Uh, rocket scientist to work out that possibly uh, Adam Simpson's got another two weeks as coach and tenure at the West Coast Eagles when they conduct their review. No doubt something may play out, but it appears now growingly more uh, stronger, if we can term it that way, that Adam Simpson may be replaced as the West Coast Eagles coach uh, for 2024. We'll be right across it here on SENWA, yeah, and that is certainly one of the lead stories going around at the moment for Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested, and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. And the other big story is the Matildas against England. It smashed viewing records incredibly. Uh, it reached 11.15 million people last night. 
The average audience, by the way, was 7.13 million. And that doesn't include out-of-home viewing at life sites, pubs, clubs, stadia, and so on. It was quite incredible, the amount of people that tuned in to see the Matildas uh, unfortunately go down in the semi-final by three goals to one to England, who were far more clinical, uh, only had five shots on goal and scored three times. And that's what good teams do. And the bonker figures actually breaks the all-time record of 8.8 million who watched Cathy Freeman's iconic gold medal run in the 400 metres at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. So as you can see, uh, big, big figures. And very shortly, I'll be speaking to Ashley Morrison, who uh, is a man that understands his sport. I thought to myself, which angle do I take today here on Sports Day WA? Now, Ashley is a professional broadcaster. He specialises in sport on both television and radio. He's also uh, very much at home with the printed word, uh, with a career in copywriting and journalism. He's published five books all on sport. He loves telling stories. He's also been uh, involved with uh, producing award-winning documentary films and popular sports podcasts, all on sport. He has played football. He has played cricket. He has played rugby. He's a hockey commentator. And I thought it'd be good to get the perception of Ashley Morrison on how he's seen uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup. And as I mentioned, uh, also later, we'll be looking at the big top seven stories of the week. Any guess? Any guess? which has been the biggest story of the week. Was it last night or was it Nick Natanui's retirement? I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Get on the Tebra Bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736, or give us a call on the Tebra Bedshed uh, call line, 13 12 55. We're here for Kia, the official partner of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023, which comes to a close this weekend, and Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. It was interesting reading Peter Sumich's column, actually, in the West Australian today, where he was saying that... They weren't planning to announce Nick Natanui's retirement this week, but they brought it forward to maybe deflect the torch on the derby debacle for the West Coast Eagles and the pressure on the club and the pressure on Adam Simpson. They thought, well, let's roll out Nick Natanui because that'll take some of the headlines because Peter Sumich in the West this morning said categorically there was never, never any intention by the club to roll out Nick Natanui this week. That was going to be left for a bit later uh, in proceedings. But they brought it forward to try and deflect the attention off the, after that 101-point loss in Derby 57. And you may give us your thoughts on that as well. But let's go to my very first special guest. Uh, as I said, he's a very respected journalist. He's a broadcaster. He's been involved in uh, sport for a long, long time at various levels, a documentary maker, uh, certainly a lot of sports podcasts, understands football, uh, originated from England. He's a Swindon Town supporter. Ashley Morrison, thanks for joining us on the program. Always good to catch up, Peter. I know you've been very busy with your documentaries and your books that you've been publishing. Uh, how's it been going for you? I know you've been to South Africa, you've been to New York, and I catch you in Sydney this afternoon. Yep, you do indeed. Well, you, you spoke to me just before we went to New York and we had the premiere of the 
documentary over in New York, which was uh, it's going to definitely have been one of the top 10 moments in my life. There's no doubt about that. And uh, we're having a screening here in Sydney tomorrow night of the boxing one and the rugby one that came out a couple of years ago. So uh, hopefully people over here enjoy them. Well, you're a man that's certainly well-rounded in relation to your interest in a variety of sports. Uh, You've been involved, as we know, in cricket, in rugby, in football, as we know, it's soccer, you broadcast hockey. So I wanted to get you on to give us a general perception from your point of view about the FIFA Women's World Cup. My first question is, did you expect to witness what you witnessed? Absolutely no. (laughs) I have to say categorically no. I will put my hand up and say I was one of those that was very doubtful about Tony Gustafsson and uh, probably felt after the Asia Cup he should have lost his job. I still, to be honest, despite how well they've done, I still question whether he's that great a coach, which might sound really cruel and churlish, but when he made substitutions in the games when they were down, to me, that's when a great coach, you realize how good they are because they changed the game. And I found that the substitutions that he made when they were losing, I didn't feel that in any game did they ever change the pattern of play or break it up or give the Matildas a chance to change something on the field that might have disrupted the opposition. But certainly, they can be so, so proud. I never thought I'd see so many people in this country following football, although it has infuriated me how the media or a lot of the media um, still can't get the terminology right. I think that's just a case of paying the sport respect. Yeah, you don't kick uh, in football. You score goals in football. What's one thing that's radiated out to me, uh, certainly one of the uh, bits of terminology. What about the players and the standard of football that the Matildas paid? Uh, Last night, everyone's talking about Sam Kerr's wonderful goal, but generally, how do you think they played? Look, again, if we go back, and, and this is the sad thing, is, is people are always going to compare to previous teams. I think Alan Stadgic's team played a far more attractive style of football, but you have to cut your cloth according to your material that you have. And I think Tony Gustafsson, credit to him, you know, he decided to play a far more defensive style of football and try and catch teams on the counter-attack. I think that the thing that surprised me with some of the teams and in particular, probably Denmark uh, more so than ever, and Canada, how they didn't actually appear to have done their homework in that they gave Caitlin Ford way too much space on the left-hand side. And, you know, Australia were able to capitalise on that. For me, I thought Hayley Rasso on the other side of the pitch was absolutely outstanding, both defensively and in attack. So I think it was really good. The one thing I think you compare, and a lot of people have been saying this that I've been talking to, is you notice in the midfield where, you know, in the men's game, and we shouldn't possibly compare because they are different, but it's, there's not a lot of space, whereas in the women's game, there's a lot more space for players to play beautiful passes through, like the one Mary Fowler did for Caitlin Ford. And saying that, there was a lot of physicality in the match last night. Uh, the English uh, team certainly went at the Matildas, particularly in the first 45 minutes, and maybe that unsettled them a bit. But wouldn't you have expected that? I'm, I'm amazed that nobody else had done that before. I mean, uh, especially Sam Kerr coming into the team. In any, if, you, if you can look at any sport, probably, if you know a player's come in with an injury, the first thing you're going to do is target that player and just see if they're really up to it. So I wasn't really that surprised. I was pleased that the referee didn't go stupid and start firing yellow cards out because I think that could have then impacted on the game and we would have seen a send-off, which... 
I don't like seeing send-offs in any game because I think you want to see a true battle 11 against 11. People saying now with uh, the volume of interest, 11.5 million people watched it last night. It is now surpassed by almost 3 million. How many people watched Cathy Freeman win the 400 metres at the Sydney Olympics now 23 years ago? 11.5 million. The legacy for you, Ashley, uh, this is uh, the big question that everybody is asking. Oh, look, I think that is a fantastic figure. It is also, it shows that Australia will embrace this sport if Australia achieves on the world stage. Uh, What we've got to do now is convert that interest and that enthusiasm to support the A-League and the W-League and get behind, you know, those leagues. Because if we don't get the support in those leagues, the money's not going to be there for us to achieve on the international stage or are we going to produce the players that are going to be able to compete on the international stage? So that's the first thing. But I think legacy-wise, what I'm concerned about is the money. Everyone's talking about the money. The legacy for me has to be whatever money came in, we have to get more juniors playing and they have to be able to pay for free or, or, or a minimal fee. You know, At the moment, the fees to play junior football are way, way too much. And they are ba- basically we're getting the best payers rather than the best players. And that's not a phenomenon that's just happening in Australia. It's happening all over the world. But to me, I would like to see that money invested uh, in junior football so that literally kids can play for, say, 100 bucks for a year, uh, even if it's just for the next four years. You know, that, that's a generation that you're going to bring through. The other thing I, I sort of feel with it is, is if you're going to do, if you can't do that, then let's look at setting up scholarship programs for kids who are, whose families are doing it tough who may have talent where their fees are subsidised or whatever because we have to start developing and making sure that we're bringing talented young players through rather than just those whose parents can afford it. Sam Kerr came out and saying uh, the sport needs a lot more funding. She said that in the after-match press conference. It seems to have been a common theme throughout this FIFA Women's World Cup when it comes to the Matildas. Uh, your thoughts? <laughs> That's, that's a real take the pin out and throw the hand grenade at me, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, yeah, look, I, I've got very strong opinions on this. I mean, football, if we look at it since 2003 when, you know, it became, what was it, the Australian Soccer Federation, I think it was before it became, no, it wasn't, but, but it became something before it became the Football Federation of Australia and now subsequently the Football Australia. It's received a lot of money. Now, People were sort of saying, oh, no, 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 no. And by comparison to other sports, maybe not. But if you look, the state governments, the federal governments, $230 million they invested for us to host this World Cup. That's a lot of money, especially when you consider how many people are doing it tough in, the, in Australia today. Can I just, I, can I just bunt uh, in there that it's, yeah? uh, and the return is $7.5 billion into the economy? It sounds like a pretty good investment. But how do we know that? I mean, I had a conversation with someone about that, and they said they don't. The truth is those figures get thrown out. I'll give you an example, Peter. When Man United came to Sydney and played, the government here, the New South Wales government, said that it would generate X amount of money. On the Monday morning, the game was only played on the Saturday, they said, believe it or not, oh, yes, it generated the number, the amount of money that they said it was going to. Now, the game being on a Saturday, 
there was no way they would have known on the Monday how much money it had generated. But surely this so, FIFA Women's World Cup would have generated more than what uh, the Football Federation of Australia invested, which is $230 million. That would have been in merchandise alone around the country. Oh, look, you would hope so. I mean, you certainly would hope so, and I would, I would think that it did generate enough money. But, but I think the government has... My view of football is it's got to start standing on its own two feet. You know, for we, we had the disastrous regimes when it was Soccer Australia, where we were basically struggling to even stay afloat. Now we're in a much better situation. But at the same time, football has to stand on its feet. Now, if I give you an example, and I looked this up because I knew we were going to talk today. So if we take it on a local scale in Western Australia, Football West, they received uh, on their last financial report $3.5 million in fees from people playing football in Western Australia. Their wage bill, though, was $4.5 million. And yet their sponsorship, they only brought in 667000 Now, you just look at those maths and you go, something's wrong. You know, we've, we've either got too many staff or we're paying too, many, too high salaries. And what I'm worried about is we see a lot of people in football now employed in various administrative roles. And that's where the money's going. When the government gives money for development, it's eaten up by coaches and it's not reaching the kids who need to have the money and need to be supported. And I just think we've got to switch it slightly and, and start actually asking where is this money actually going? Is it reaching the people it's supposed to? They're now saying, we've just had the Ashes series, the Australian cricket team 2-2, which is now the national sport after what we've seen with Matildas. Is it cricket or is it football? I mean, look, yeah, that's a very, very difficult question to answer because, again, if you, if you look at the figures that came out um, a few years ago uh, in terms of participation sports, I mean, football was only beaten by, I think it was people going to the gym, running, swimming, um, yoga, and bushwalking, but it was well ahead of all the other sports like AFL, Rugby League, Rugby Union. And, again, if you look football the round ball game, the World Cup, is in the top 10 um, of participation sports. AFL is not. They're in the next group, 10 to 20. So too is cricket. And then the two rugby codes are actually from 20 to 30. So you'd say based on those participation, yes, it probably is the national code. And I think if you look at the makeup of the country and the migration that we've had to Australia, you would probably say, Yes, it is, because it is a sport that those migrants can identify with um, no matter where they come from. So, yeah, look, I, I believe it is. Cricket, though, I think is always going to be regarded very much as an Australian sport still. Um, and there'll be those that will argue that AFL has its rightful place because it is an Australian sport. Mm, good call. Uh, lovely, Ash. Lovely to talk to you. I thought, as I said, you're the right man to just decipher everything. You've got always the latest information at your fingertips. Uh, you deep dive into a lot of these topics, and we thank you very much. And enjoy your time in Sydney, and we'll chat again soon. Will do, look, thanks. I might have a few opinions that differ from most people, <laughs> but, um, you know, that's how I feel, and, and I just think... We have to always look after the next generation, those coming up behind. Oh, so true. Thanks, Ashley.
My pleasure. Yeah, good on you, Ash. Ash Morrison joining us here on the program. Give us your thoughts on what Ash had to say. I think he's uh, certainly got some very interesting opinions. Whether you disagree or agree with him, uh, get on the text uh, line, the temperate bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736. Now, uh, Martin from Jarradale says, Sumich is grumpy old man since he didn't get the top job at West Coast and kicked out of Frio. Seems to make things up as he goes. Where's his proof? Would uh, like Nicknack to come out and tell the truth and call Summer out for him, for he has been... Um, Simo stays on and leads us to another premiership. Uh, that's uh, Martin of Jarradale. And then also, here's another one, uh, Peter. On missing out on a coaching job at the West Coast, Simich has become a real misery guts who can see any, cannot see any positives at the Eagles. That's a big L. Well, he's pretty well connected, mate. Uh, he's a couple of stories uh, that have come out during uh, the season. Uh, I know that Peter Simich has been the first one to break him. Don't worry about that. He said in this morning's press, I can disclose here, that Nat he was definitely not planning to announce his retirement this week. And the headline says, Eagles great deserve better. Superstar Nick Nat was deployed as a smokescreen to cover for coach Adam Simpson in the wake of the Derby debacle. Sumich says his emotional retirement announcement about 30 hours after a disgraceful 101-point Western Derby thrashing was the latest scapegoat propaganda in West Coast efforts to cover for their continuing terrible performances. And as I said, Summer is pretty well connected. And he uh, there's a couple of stories that he's broken during course of the season. And he wouldn't have just written that for the sake of uh, being, uh, uh, what's the word, angry or having a vendetta against the West Coast Eagles. Uh, he gets these stories from within. Whether you agree or disagree, uh, it's your right, as everybody has an opinion. And that's what this radio program is all about, Sports Day WA. Temper of Bedshed, text machine 0487 736 736. Hi, Peter, what a load of garbage that Sumich has written in the paper, that Nick Nat has announced his retirement to deflect from the loss against Frio. Nick Nat retiring has been talked about for weeks, and now he, Shuey and Hearn can all have the send-off they so well deserve in the last game at Optus in front of 60,000 fans. That's Lisa of Ellenbrook. Uh, give us your thoughts. I've got some uh, breaking news. Uh, well, some news that I got today regarding the WAFL Grand Final, which is being staged here at Optus Stadium on Sunday, September the 24th, the Sunday before the AFL Grand Final. And it's going to be a bit concerning for local football people, not so much the people coming to the game, but the West Australian Football Commission. They've got a bit of a headache on their hands at the moment over deciding to play the game here at Optus Stadium and not keeping it at a community ground like we saw last season when West Perth beat Claremont in a beauty at Leederville Oval and a few years before that when we saw South Fremantle and Claremont do battle at Fremantle Oval. Another great day for local community football. I'll bring you those details, plus the top seven stories of the week after the break here on Sports Day WA. Just updating for Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand. A story that I believe uh, I picked up today that could in some ways uh, be a bit of a financial blow to the West Australian Football Commission. As we know, uh, the commission itself and 
certainly community footballers finding it a bit tough financially at this point in time. We know the elite, that is the West Coast Eagles, Fremantle Dockers and the AFL seem to be travelling okay. But underneath that so-called elitism, you know, things financially aren't that flash. And as we know, the WAFL Grand Final will be staged here at Optus on Sunday, September 24. Uh, And there's been a lot of discussion and dialogue about whether the Grand Final should have been played at a community ground like Leederville Oval or Fremantle after the successes at those grounds last year at Leederville in the thriller between West Perth and Claremont. And, of course, uh, during the COVID period there at Fremantle Oval. Now, I was informed today that the Waffle Grand Final could be heading for about a half a million dollar loss which is staggering considering it's money football can ill afford to lose here in WA. Optus Stadium, I believe, uh, will give the game to the West Australian Footy Commission for about $150,000 to use. Uh, The top level, of course, will be closed off. It'll only be the first two levels where patrons can come along and sit. But I hear there's been a massive oversight. The West Australian Footy Commission, I believe, hasn't configured a figure of $280,000 that is the fee required to provide free transport to the venue, which is a condition by Venues Life slash West, which is a prerequisite for the Optus Stadium booking. So last time when Optus did house a WAFL grand final, the various stakeholders assisted with the cost. But I understand this time around, those same stakeholders being in some ways government and others, are not prepared to offer the same assistance to the West Australian Football Commission. So you add 150000 plus 280000 that makes it $430,000. The costs are certainly mounting. And I'm just wondering whether the West, West Australian Foot Com- Football Commission, in hindsight, may have thought it might have been better to play them at a community ground, which also would have given uh, the clubs that occupy those grounds, in the case of Leederville, Subiaco and East Perth, a bit of a fillip financially. Or Fremantle, Oval. We know that East Fremantle think are going to be playing finals there. Is that correct? East Fremantle and South Fremantle, a bit of a fillip as well. So uh, I think each round may even have the choice of whether they play there or not. So it's just the story that I found out today, and I just think it's, it's incredible. I know the reason is they want the, the WAFL Grand Final to stand alone, be a showcase for community footy. But uh, if you're going to be bearing losses as significant as that, uh, I'm not sure it's the greatest business decision. So there you go. There's an update for you on one of the stories today. All thanks to Polaris Plate Clearance Deals on now. Save $2,000 on the Ranger 1000 EPS plus get $1,000 free accessories. Okay, for Kia, the official partner of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023, let's get into our top seven stories of the week. Number seven. We've more so focused on the recent games. It's, it's a different style of play, but obviously being a former teammate, I've watched plenty of his games throughout the, the years in the NBA, and then we, we played them last year against Adelaide and OKC as well. So, yeah, a little bit familiar with Gibbs. Um, he's definitely improved out of sight. So it'll be a battle tonight and one that, yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up with him after the game as well. That's South Sudan and Adelaide, the 36th star Sunday deck on the matchup against Aussie star Josh Giddy tonight in the pre 
World Cup warm-up match. And as we know, Australia's preparations for the upcoming Basketball World Cup hit a bit of a hitch when they were beaten 90-86 to by Brazil at Rod Laver Arena the other night. Number six. It's been really tough. Um, and that's something that's tough for me is telling people how I'm going. Um, but, yeah, it's been really difficult and I've sort of lost my identity as a footballer a little bit, but also as a person too, which has been hard. Just the little things um, that probably I took for granted before I can't do, whether that's like going to the supermarket or going to a cafe with my girlfriend or, you know, driving a car or anything like that. I don't think there's that many people that have played footy with their brother and, um, yeah, I just love him to death and, you know, he's a big reason why I was able to, you know, come back and get through what I did and, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's hard to talk. We gotta get a bit emotional talking about it, to be honest. Um, yeah, just loving that much. <laughs> the Swans called and said, look, do you want to come up? Tommy's up there um, and just playing the VFL. Um, but there was never any guarantees about AFL stuff. It was more just come up, get a bit of love back for the game. I sort of even think back to this time, sort of two years ago, um, I was pretty pretty nowhere really and I was struggling a lot. And yeah, this is a bloody special footy club, mate. And I, I feel very lucky to be a part of it. I feel very lucky that they gave me an opportunity and I feel very lucky that I get to do it with my brother as well because, um, yeah, I love him to bits and to be able to sort of share this week with him is, is amazing. So it's going to be awesome. Mm, Paddy McCartan announcing his retirement uh, there on the Swans' Instagram page. And as we know, he played with Sydney from 2022. A couple of seasons, couldn't complete this season. And before that was at uh, St Kilda. Uh, certainly... A man that was told it'd be in his best interest to uh, give the game away, as Paul Seedsman was told today, to hang up his boots. And the announcement comes just two days after Paddy McCartan also heeded a call from the AFL's concussion panel to maybe give the game away. Now, Seedsman hasn't played a game in nearly two seasons. His last match coming in round 23-2021 due to ongoing issues from head knocks. And he still struggles to concentrate on regular tasks. Number five. It's a fame for his set-piece delivery and firing it in. Oh, it's brilliant. 1-0 to Tottenham. That is the way to start the season. And Postacoglu's side lead. And a good turn inside. And a great shot from Emerson Royale. And almost out of nothing, Tottenham are back on level terms. It was a good starting point for us today. But we, we, we need to improve and we have to improve. And, and we will, you know. And um, like I said, I think... Two one down, you know, conceding a penalty, a known goal, would have been very easy for us to drop our heads. Um, but you know, I never sensed that in the group. You know, they were pretty determined to to get back in the game. I thought we did that well. Yes, uh, history there for Ange Postecoglou and for Australia when it comes to the English Premier League. Of course, Ange, the very first Australian to be in charge of a Premier League club and a big one of that with Tottenham Hotspur, their first game last weekend, a two-all draw away to Brentford. Number four. I want to do a little bright side with Jack Rewald. They are feeling it here at the moment. Rewald launches. Just squirts it out to Rewalt, and that's a good mark under fierce pressure. And he's got that online. Gee, that's good. Yeah. Gee, that was just superb off the boot. Rewalt to lose. The champions have been able to do what only the toughest and strongest could do in 2020.
Tigers again. Yes, I remember that. I reckon when he came on the stage, I was broadcasting the AFL Grand Final at the MCG, and then we had an extended uh, post-match review of that Grand Final. And all of a sudden, the killers played to the crowd because they invited him back after the game. And all of a sudden, Jack comes out on stage. I'm not sure whether that was possibly as good as the grand final, if not better, seeing, of course, Jack Revolt on stage. They'd broken the drought. They'd won the 2017 Premiership. And he was singing on stage here with Brandon Flowers, the lead singer of the killers. It was a great night. But he's been a great footballer. Uh, after dancing on stage with the Killers in 2017. He continued on. 346 games later, a mammoth 786 goals in black and yellow. Jack said, I'm done. Number three. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I actually said to the boys downstairs, um, you know, when I was talking about my retirement to just the players, that um, I'd made it a few weeks ago. I told a couple of the boys, but I never really got the opportunity to hit the button because Bunga hit, um, decided to retire, and Shuey <laughs> decided to retire, and... Um, I thought I'd never get a chance to do it. So um, oh, it's been a couple of weeks. I, I probably had that surgery and, and had a few run-ins with the, with the surgeon and, and asked a few questions. And, yeah, it was probably just more give myself a bit of time to make that decision and make sure it was the right one and give myself every opportunity to, yeah, like I said, make the right decision and probably something that's been sitting on my mind for you know a number of weeks now. Uh, it's sad because, yeah, normally there's normally one senior player that leaves at the end of every year, but to have three of us leave you know in a month, it's, um, oh, it's sad for some of the boys at the footy club at the moment. 213 games, three-time All-Australian, two-time John Worsfold Mills. Uh, what a fantastic player he was, Nick Natanui. Number two. Australia have won it back. And now there's a break here. Sam Kerr can run it nearly bright. Sam Kerr continues on. Edge of the box. Kerr strikes! Australia has been longing for. What a goal that was. What a goal that was. Unfortunately, uh, a highlight for Sam Kerr, a highlight for the Matildas, but they went down by three goals to one. And, of course, at number one, outright number one, has to be this. Number one. She'll hold it for a few extra seconds. She'll wave her team downfields. Bounces the ball a few more times. Chewing up these seconds. Thumps it downfields. All the way into Australia's defence. Skied high by Stamway. Out of play for a throw. And now just mere moments remaining. Thrown in. And that is full time from Stadium Australia. England, for the first time ever, will play in a Women's World Cup final. Yes, and where they will play... meet Spain on Sunday. Yes, I'll play Spain on Sunday. Australia will play Sweden in the match for third place in Brisbane. Uh, that's uh, for the award-winning seven-seat Kia Sorrento. Kia, the official partner of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Uh, just as I go to the break and come back with Ash Brown, uh, Sir Michael Parkinson has passed away at the age of 88, of course, uh, had some amazing high-profile guests on his program. Welcome back to Sports Day WA for Kia, the official partner of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. And now it's time, as we do every Thursday, for our friends at Signet Power Bank to have a look at the AFL record. It's the Round 23 edition. 
second last weekend of AFL home and away football before we hit the finals. And joining us is their senior AFL writer in Ash Brown. Ash, thanks for your time. Hi, Pete. How are you? It's been a hectic week, hasn't it? In more ways than one. Uh, with the Matildas, I see a bit of drama at Federation Square last night. Over 10,000 people there and some others trying to get in. But uh, no doubt it's been a, a, a week that's a little bit different. But we're returning a bit of normality as of this weekend with the Matildas, of course, now unable to contest the World Cup final We've got round 23 edition of the AFL record. And boy, oh boy, there's been some significant stories in the AFL during the week, including a couple of big Richmond retirements. Yeah, it's been a strange week for the AFL. In the last couple of weeks, really, they've played second fiddle on the national stage. They've had to learn to share, Pete, and, uh, and let others take the limelight. But you're right, it's back to... Back to normal transmission this weekend with uh, a very emotional afternoon. It's going to be the MCG with uh, Richmond champions, superstars really, Jack Rewald and Trent Cotchin, both three-time premiership players. They'll be playing their final game uh, against uh, North Melbourne at the MCG. I think it's one of those days, Pete, where the, uh, the post-match formalities might take longer than the game. I don't think they'll be in a hurry to leave the ground and... Uh, the Tiger fans will turn up in huge numbers, I'm sure, to celebrate their great careers. No question. And the fact is that they're such great mates. And I think when Trent Cotchin decided, uh, the long-serving three-time premiership captain, I think they may have prompted Jack to think maybe it's my time as well because their careers basically started in a similar time and carried through what was a very, very successful period for Richmond. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of when uh, Greg Chappell, Rod Marsh and uh, Dennis Lilly all retired at the same time from straight cricket team. I think uh, there was like, this collective decision that it's time to move on and hand it over to, to the next generation of Richmond players. And it does beg the question, Pete, as to what Dustin Martin will do at the end of the year. Mm. He's the one remaining now. Um, what does he do? It must be tempting for him to go to the Gold Coast and... Uh, Reunite with Damien Hardwick and, and let Richmond totally regenerate. Yeah, and of course, Richmond on the hunt now for a new coach. And who will succeed Damien Hardwick? That's a big question as well. Well, we're not in the mix as far as Western Australian AFL teams are concerned, but there is a bit of a flag frenzy at the moment as we hit the last fortnight of the AFL games. Yeah, we've had a bit of fun on the record this week. I mean, there's 12 teams in the running for the Premiership still. I mean, some is about a stronger case for than others, obviously. But we've gone through the pros and the cons, the ticks and the crosses that all 12 teams are still in the hunt for the Premiership. You know, why they can win the flag and why we think they can't. So that was a bit of speculation work in the, in the record this week. And no doubt you have a pretty good look at uh, all the uh, round of fixtures. The one here at Optus Stadium is the last game of round 23. It's Fremantle against Port Adelaide. Good news with Ken Hinckley getting an extra two years at the power, no doubt you look in depth at all the games being played. Yeah, we've got previews for all the games, the games you go to, but there's obviously three pivotal games, aren't there? There's the uh, the Essendon Giants game leading to the Saturday night sort of twin build. Bit of a shame they're on at the same time, really. Adelaide Sydney at Adelaide Oval, St Kilda Geelong at Marvel. We'll have a fairly a, a clearer indication, I think, of what the finals might look like after come Saturday night. But it's important need to win over there in the Perth on Sunday. And the Collingwood brisbane game Friday night is important as well. Brisbane need to win to hold on to second place. So there's a lot of stake this weekend. Uh, another really good weekend. I'll tell you what's interesting, Ash. You've got me thinking, actually, and this is a question without notice. Uh, certainly in soccer and football, as we know it, the last round of fixtures when there's 
certainly teams trying to jockey either for a premiership or trying to beat relegation or trying to get here, trying to get there. All the games kick off simultaneously. So nobody knows what's happening at the other games and it just creates that much interest amongst uh, all the fans that are following the AFL. Of course, that's not logistically possible with the AFL because there isn't the venues uh, to accommodate it. But certainly got me thinking about, imagine, with such a, an important weekend next weekend, with so many permutations and combinations, if all games kicked off at the same time. Oh, it would be fantastic. I mean, I agree with you. A lot of people cry out for that. The NFL tries to engineer the final round of its season as well on the same lines. Yeah, we can't do the Premier League because of the venues. But, and the AFL likes, in fairness to fans, to lock in the, uh, the five-round fixture probably three or four weeks out to allow fans to travel. But it would be wonderful if the AFL had the, uh, the courage almost to wait until um, su- Sunday night before coming up with a schedule, at least, for the final round. And they did play as many simultaneous games as possible. But we're out to be intrigued. But then again, we also like watching big games individually. So I'm not quite sure. From a competitive balance point of view and an integrity point of view, playing all the games at the same time would be fantastic. Yeah. But commercially... It's not viable. Yeah, fair call. Uh, finally, uh, we had a big uh, retirement here this week with Nick Natanui. What a champion footballer he has been, not just for the West Coast Eagles, but for the game as a brand ambassador. He's a super player, and I don't think those of us on the East Coast quite appreciate what an ambassador. You're right, Pete. I mean, he's, I've spoken to him a few times. He's a wonderful ambassador for football, and we don't quite get that over here on the East Coast. So I'd like to think that in retirement, there'd be a way to bring him to make him truly a, a natural figure in football, because as well as being a wonderful ruckman, just a super guy. And um, let's hope he's fated he's properly by the West Coast supporters uh, next weekend when they play the final game. And let's hope that the AFL and West Coast, or it might be the media, find a way to keep him heavily involved in the game because he's, he should continue to be an asset. Yeah, good on you, Ash. Well spoken. Thanks for joining us, mate. And we'll talk to you again next Thursday as we preview the final round of home and away fixtures for 2023. Where has the season gone? Thanks for your time. Thanks, mate. Look forward to it. Ash Brown talking AFL record, and you can get it on the concourse here at Optus Stadium when you rock up uh, to watch the game between the Fremantle Dockers and Port Adelaide on Sunday afternoon. Of course, you can power every moment with a Signet Power Bank and keep your devices powered this season. Visit signet.com. Well, the FIFA Women's World Cup, sponsored by Kia, who, of course, joint sponsors of Sports Day WA with yours truly. Well, the final weekend is coming up. The Matildas are playing Sweden on the Saturday, and then we've got the World Cup final between England and Spain on Sunday. And uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup, you can soak it up, uh, all the atmosphere, at the FIFA Fan Festival at Forest Place and watch uh, the last weekend of action live on the big screen. If you want to find out more, go to fifa.com forward slash fan festival. That's been the week. What a week it has been. A week like no other. And hope you've enjoyed it uh, here on uh, Sports Day WA. I'll be back again on Monday from 5 o'clock. And saying that, uh, don't forget, for those people listening through SENWA, you can catch the call of the Fremantle Dockers and Port Adelaide. We're on air from 10 past two on Sunday. Scott Cummings, Jimmy Williams and yours truly, Peter Vlahos. And if you're coming to the stadium to watch the game, make sure you tune in to our call. Play by play, no delay. All you have to do, it's simple. If you haven't done it already, download the SEN app. 
Just download the SEN app, and as you walk into the stadium, open your SEN app, and you'll see SEN Stadium. Click on that. Put your buds uh, and your ear- earphones on, and then you can hear our commentary. As I said, play-by-play, no delay. It's a great way to be invested in the AFL game that's being played here at Optus Stadium. Have a great weekend, and uh, I'll catch you again for Sports Day WA from 5 o'clock on Monday. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Brian.